Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 17, starting to read at verse 20. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, Here it is, or There it is because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Well, do keep the passage that uh, Emma's just read open. Uh, And I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to use some very ancient and wonderful words as we come to the scriptures together. O Lord, teach me to seek you and reveal yourself to me when I seek you. For I cannot seek you unless you first teach me, nor find you unless you first reveal yourself to me. Let me seek you in longing And long for you in seeking. Let me find you in love. And love you in finding. For your name's sake. Amen. Well, Ratatouille, if you know it, is Pixar's wonderful animated movie with an unlikely hero. Remy. Remy is a rat. But Remy is a rat with a difference, for he has culinary aspirations and gifting. He longs to move from the Parisian sewers to work in the top restaurant of his gastronomic hero, Gusto. And in true Hollywood style, Remy the rat overcomes every obstacle and opposition from a rodent phobic profession to become a top chef in a fine Parisian eatery. Who'd have thought it could? But as Remy himself puts it in the film, 
The only thing predictable in life is its unpredictability. And sometimes that really does seem as if it's the case, doesn't it? Sometimes it does appear that the only thing predictable in life is its unpredictability. In her book, The Year of Magical Thinking, the American writer Joan Didion reflects on the, the sudden and unexpected death of her husband. They sat down for a meal, an everyday midweek meal at home, and her husband, her husband collapsed. And she opens the book with these words. Life changes fast. Life changes in the instant. You sit down to dinner, and life as you know it ends. Life changes fast, more so, I think, as you get older. A job that seemed secure ends. A relationship that seems forever dies. Your health that seemed indestructible when you were young fails. And of course, it's the seeming unpredictability in life that makes us want to try and work out and make sense of life. Always the questions, why? Why this to me now in this situation? Following the death of his wife, the English novelist Julian Barnes talks about trying to find meaning, trying to find patterns, trying to make sense of life and death and grief. But he says that in the end, you have to face up to the fact that there are no patterns in life, in death, in grief. It is, as he puts it, just the universe doing its stuff. And yet I think we all sense that our lives must have a pattern, that there must be meaning, a direction, that it's not just all random. So Candice Brown, she of the famous pouting lips and great bakes, who won the Great British Bake Off this week, said, everything happens for a reason. See, intuitively we sense that's right. But is it true? Depends whether you think life is random or ruled. Of course, if it seems personally unpredictable, it seems historically unpredictable too, as the events in the US this week testify to. As the Enlightenment philosopher Lessing commented, history is the attempt to put accidents in order. History is the attempt to put accidents in order. For just as we sense our own lives must have meaning, so too we sense that history must have a meaning. It must have a goal, a direction. Surely our lives and this world are going somewhere. Surely they mean something. And yet according to the non-Christian philosopher John Gray, the idea that history must make sense is just Christian prejudice. He puts it like this, if we truly leave Christianity behind, we must give up the idea that human history has a meaning. Neither in the ancient pagan world nor in any other culture 
has human history ever been thought to have an overarching significance? In Greece and Rome, it was a series of natural cycles of growth and decline. In India, it was a collective dream, endlessly repeated. The idea that history must make sense is just Christian prejudice. So is this world random or ruled? Do our lives, does history have a meaning or is it just stuff plus time plus chance? Is it just biology and chemistry and physics doing its stuff or is there a God who rules and reigns over this world? Well, Jesus claims you can really only answer that question if you're looking in the right place. So this evening, we're back in Luke 17 as Jesus continues to journey towards Jerusalem and to the cross and to his death. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you will have seen that Jesus has been teaching that this world and our lives are indeed ruled. Ruled by the God who for us and for our salvation came down in Jesus, in history, to offer us a way home. And his constant teaching throughout Luke has been that we all reject God's rightful, good, legitimate rule. And so we are lost. And only Jesus can find us. We face God's judgment. And only Jesus can save us. And as we saw last week, we're unclean and only the word of Jesus can cleanse us. And as we come to verses 20 to 37, we see Jesus in conversation with two groups of people. You see, firstly, the Pharisees who oppose Jesus, verses 20 and 21. And then the disciples who follow Jesus, verses 22 to 37. To the Pharisees, Jesus issues a rebuke. And to his disciples, he offers reassurance. So firstly, God rules the world in and through Jesus, but most people are looking in the wrong place, verses 20 and 21. God rules the world in and through Jesus, but most people are looking in the wrong place. The Pharisees, the, the religious establishment, respectable Moral, biblical scholars, they come to Jesus with a question, verse 20. They want to know when, when the kingdom of God will come. They're well schooled in the Jewish scriptures. They understood that history was heading in one direction. For the God who made the world ruled the world and one day he would establish his justice on earth. So their question, verse 20, was when? When will this happen? And Jesus' answer is, as it often is in the gospel, somewhat cryptic and intriguing. Verse 20, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is, well, we've got within you, but I think a better translation is, as the footnote puts it, the little letter there, the kingdom of God is among you or in your midst. In other words, Jesus says to these Pharisees, he says, the kingdom of God, it's not something that you can see. It's right in your midst. Think, how can that be? How can there be something right in front of you, but you can't see it? 
Well, it happens. Particularly, I fear, to men. I am leaving the house and I am late and I can't find my wallet, my keys, my phone. Calm inquiry. Has anyone seen? Soon becomes stressed accusation. Who has moved my? And then my wife looks and suddenly wallet, keys, phone are exactly where they should be. I was certain that I had looked thoroughly and now they've magically appeared. See, I thought it was a thorough look, but it was, I fear, only the kind of thorough look that men are capable of. See, sometimes things can be right in front of your eyes and you still can't see them. Now, the Pharisees were preoccupied with the timing of the kingdom of God, but they failed to recognize the identity of God's king. Now, the Old Testament scriptures did speak about the kingdom, but they also spoke about the king. And understanding the who is more important than understanding the when. Now, back in Luke 7, Jesus sends word to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was imprisoned, suffering because of political corruption and institutional injustice, full of questions and suffering, full of doubt about whether Jesus was the true king. Jesus says, tell John. Tell John the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. All that was promised of God's king, Jesus says, is fulfilled in me. God rules the world in and through Jesus, but most people are looking in the wrong place. I think of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and maybe the age of political confidence has passed, but it still sometimes looks as if it's politicians who rule the world, who make the decisions, who call the shots. But ultimately, that's not so. Never has been, never will be. Good or bad, they are instruments in the hands of a higher power. There's a fascinating painting in the Houses of Parliament. It hangs in St. Stephen's Chapel between the House of Commons and the House of Lords. And it's a picture of a true revolutionary. A true revolutionary. A revolutionary Bible translator. John Wycliffe, who wanted everyone to be able to read the Bible in accessible English. And underneath the painting are these words. English people, in spite of many prosecutions for heresy, persist in gathering around to read aloud Wycliffe's version of the Bible. Why? Why persist in reading the Bible? Because in the Bible we meet Jesus. And God rules the world in and through Jesus, even though most people are looking in the wrong place. It's astonishing. You have the House of Commons on one side and the House of Lords on the other. All these important and powerful and influential people. And right in the middle is a reminder that there is a higher throne. The throne of Jesus, before which every knee will one day bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But if political confidence is fading, optimism in the saving power of science seems unbridled. 
To every human problem, there is, it seems, a scientific solution. And yet the great irony is that many of the founding members of the Royal Society, many of them believed that good science was only possible because God made the world and gave us stewardship over it. So even today, over the entrance to the Cavendish Labs in Cambridge, the home of the Department of Physics in the University of Cambridge, over the entrance to the Cavendish Labs, there is an inscription from Psalm 111. The works of the Lord are great, pondered by all who delight in them. God rules. He rules the world in and through Jesus, but most people are looking in the wrong place. And yet, that raises a question. If God rules the world in and through Jesus, why does it seem that the world is in such a terrible mess? Now, the so-called news, national or international, seems an endlessly repetitive litany of corruption, injustice and suffering. Do you not sometimes think that if God rules the world, it feels as if he has a very funny way of doing it? Of course, the disciples were to feel that acutely soon after Jesus spoke these words. Verse 22, Jesus anticipates it. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Now, Son of Man is one of the titles of God's promised king in the Old Testament, one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. And the Son of Man in the Old Testament is one with authority and glory and sovereign power over all the nations. A king who will end corruption and establish justice and wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people. So Jesus says a time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. A time is coming as it has repeatedly for God's people down through history. A time is coming when you will long to see God establish his full and final justice on earth. Because what you will see and what you will experience will be corruption and injustice and suffering. That was certainly true for the disciples. For what did they see within months of Jesus speaking these words? Jesus betrayed, arrested, condemned, He endured religious hatred and political corruption and personal abuse. And because, as Jesus taught, no servant is greater than his master, just as they persecuted Jesus, so too they would persecute his disciples. And there must have been times for them when, facing the world's hostility, they longed to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Times when they longed to see corruption defeated and justice established and suffering ended. They would have longed to see that. But they didn't, and nor do we. And so whilst there is, in Jesus' words, a rebuke to those who oppose him in verses 20 and 21, there is secondly a reassurance to those who follow him, verses 22 to 37. See verse 22, then he said to the disciples, and the heart of what Jesus said to the disciples was this, secondly, God's rule is now, But it is also not yet. So don't be distracted or discouraged. 
See, in a world that's so full of corruption and injustice and then suffering, the temptation will always be to look to someone else for answers. To look to something other than Jesus for solutions. The world is full of empty hopes and false messiahs. Verse 23, men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. Now, of course, Jesus' point is more than the one satirized by Monty Python in the life of Brian, the eponymous hero of the film, Brian, who receives the growing adoration and worship of the masses. Until that is, his exasperated mother tries to put an end to it with the much-quoted line, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. But there's more to false messiahs than the religious lunatics that plagued the first century and and every century ever since. There are false messiahs that offer empty hope in politics, in academia, and in the media. See, there are very few people that think life is random. And if they do think that, they don't live as if that's the case. Very few people think that life is random. Most people think, ultimately, that it is ruled. It's ruled by someone. And if that someone's not God, then it's someone else. The politicians. The academics. The entertainers. Everyone has a take on what life is all about. Everyone. And they want you to believe their story. The time is coming, verse 22, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. Truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you sometimes, maybe oftentimes, you will look at the world's corruption and all the injustice and all the sorrow and sadness, and you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. That's true, isn't it? Do you not sometimes look at this crazy, corrupt, and tear-filled world and wonder whether God will one day sort it out? When you hear of the most recent political scandal, or when news breaks of the latest corrupt business or charity, or when yet one more devastated and tearful parent pleads for news of their beautiful, precious, and missing child, Do you not long for a king who will end corruption and establish justice and wipe away every tear from the eyes of a weeping world? Well, Jesus' teaching is don't be distracted with false ideologues who offer empty hope. And in the midst of so much corruption, injustice and tears, don't be discouraged by God's apparent hiddenness. For whilst it is true, God rules the world in and through Jesus, that rule is now, but it is also not yet. God's rule was re-established in Jesus' first coming, but it won't be fully realised until his return. So at the moment, God's rule often seems hidden, hard to make sense of, sometimes painful. We see that on a global scale, but we see it in our own lives too. But in the end, God's rule will be visible to everyone. And it will be seen for what it is, good and right and wonderful. Now, if people like the Pharisees struggle to see God's rule in Jesus now, they will not struggle on the last day, verse 24. 
For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. When Jesus returns, his rule will be unmissable in every sense of that word. And yet Jesus' sober warning, verse 26, is that just as his rule will be unmissable, it will also be a surprise to many. Not actually because they didn't have enough evidence. And we saw that clearly a few weeks back in the account of Lazarus that Paul led us through. His rule will be surprised to many, not because they didn't have enough evidence, but because all their lives they've been looking in the wrong place. See, Jesus says life will be carrying on just as it always does. You know, the normal stuff. The normal stuff that fills all our days, eating and drinking and marrying and buying and selling and building. And it will be right in the midst of the normal stuff of life that God's full and final justice will be realized. And Jesus says it will be sudden and decisive and final. verse 26 Jesus says if you learn the lessons of history you will understand that it will be sudden just as it was in the days of Noah so also it will be in the days of the son of man people were eating and, and drinking marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark then the flood came and destroyed them all it was the same in the days of Lot people were eating and, and drinking Buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. God's full, final justice. It will be realized and it will be sudden. So we need to be prepared. And we need to be prepared because it will not only be sudden, it will be decisive. Verse 34. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. One day God's full, final justice will be seen by everyone and it will be sudden. It will be decisive. And it will be final. You see, the disciples hear Jesus' sobering words and they ask, where? Where will this judgment take place? And Jesus' answer is, judgment takes place where death reigns, verse 37. Judgment takes place where death reigns, verse 37. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. God's judgment will be final in death, for beyond that there is no way back to life. As the comedian Milton Jones puts it, over the course of a lifetime we will attend a few surprise parties, but just one surprise funeral. It is true. God rules in Jesus, but that rule often seems hidden, hard to make sense of, sometimes painful, incredibly painful. 
But in the end, God's rule will be visible to everyone, seen for what it is, good, right, wonderful. And there may for now seem to be a difficult and painful delay, but in the end, God's full and final justice will be realized. And when the Son of Man returns, it will be sudden and decisive and final. And so Jesus says to his followers then and now, in a world of corruption and injustice and suffering, do not be distracted, do not be discouraged, stick with me till the end. Of course, the choices start for all of us, verse 33. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, to keep your life, to keep your life is to reject Jesus. Like most people, you won't be prepared to think that life and history are random. You instinctively sense that this life is ruled The problem for all of us, you and me included, is that we don't want our lives to be ruled by God. But Jesus says they will be one day, whether we like it or not. On the day the Son of Man is revealed, Jesus' good and gracious and generous rule will be revealed and his full and final justice will be established, sudden, decisive, final. And if you try to keep your life now, you will lose it then. But if you lose your life now, if you see that in Jesus there is hope, not just for a world, but for you personally, then when the Son of Man is revealed, you will save your life forever. For as we saw last week, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, verse 11. He's on his way to die. And it was on the cross that Jesus faced religious corruption and political injustice. Here that he faced the hatred of the world and the torment of his soul. But the cross was victory, not defeat. Here God's rule was secured, not defeated. Here God made possible forgiveness for the guilty. Cleansing for the dirty. And life for the dead. See, God really does rule the world in and through Jesus, but most people are looking in the wrong place. God's rule is now, but it is also not yet. So don't be discouraged. Don't be distracted. Stick with Jesus to the end. Well, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Just a moment of quiet to respond ourselves and then we will respond together.